Murphy slides right in as a perfect 3 and D guy for that Memphis team. You know, they don't really quite have the assets to go get a true second superstar to go next to John Morant. Um, but I think Ananobi is like the perfect, you know, third, fourth best player on a really good team that, for them to go after. I think for right now, maybe more in the offseason, but for right now, I think the Raptors kind of stay put. I think that they are really banking on a lot of their younger players and kind of moving in that direction. I think when we see a guy like OG Adenomi, Ad, <laughs> Adenobi, and we're like, well, why, you know, why are they asking for so much when we see those, uh, those stats? A lot of it is on potential, and a lot of it's the fact that, like, you know, usually the team that has that player sees a lot more in their potential than the other 29 teams in the league. So when they're looking at that, they're kind of like, we don't really want to trade them unless you give us a crazy deal. So I think they're going to stay put for the time being. Yeah, it, it's interesting because we see teams like this pop up every year. Like a couple years ago, the Magic were this team where they have this roster full of guys who are talked about as good players but are linked to all these trades. Utah was kind of like that in the offseason last year. Um, I, If I had to bet, I do think at least two of these guys are getting traded before the deadline. I think the asking price is high right now because they've decided to move on from these guys for a while. But once it gets closer to that date, I think you could see them kind of settle a little bit on guys like Fred Van Fleet and OG. I definitely think OG is going to get moved. There's just too many teams interested in him right now. I think either one side will break, either Raptors will settle, or another team will throw in those three picks. Um, And then I definitely think a guy like Gary Trent Jr. is going to get moved. Fred Van Fleet is a little interesting because his value around the league, like you said, how a team holds their players at a higher value, that guy's never shot above 40% from the field in his career. And or at the basket, sorry, at the basket, not for his career. That'd be really bad. Um, but <laughs> Red Van Fleet, it's like one of those guys that he's a good outside shooter, but I don't know if other teams consider him like a corner piece, like a franchise point guard. Um, so I, I do think we'll see some Raptors movement, but maybe not all of them go. Uh, but I do think I see at least OG and Gary Trent Jr. getting moved. Um, but before we move on from... NBA talks. What is a trade you would just love to see happen before the deadline on Thursday? I don't really have a specific deal to look at here, but one, I'm looking at two teams. I'm looking at the Hornets for one because they're my favorite team. I would love for them to uh, make something happen, um, and that has to do with getting rid of Terry Rozier, who I love, but it's it's something that you got to do. And Gordon Hayward, of course, I don't feel the same love for him because someone said it earlier, the best available Best ability is availability, and he is hurt all the time. Um, I'm not sure how much the Hornets would be able to get out of him, but, of course, this is a team that is always rebuilding, so picks are are pretty good. Um, And then looking at the other team that I wanted to talk about was the Hawks. Um, Their front court right now is a a little loaded as far as, you know, just they just have a ton of guys. Um, So someone I'm looking at to possibly get traded is John Collins. He's... He's a guy who seems like he's always in in trade rumors, but um, and you know he's kind of wanted out for a while. Um, so I think that he's going to be uh, another name to watch come trade deadline day. Uh, one team that I'm really going to be watching is the Sacramento Kings. So right now they're sitting in third place in the Western Conference, but they are only four and a half games clear of eleventh in the conference. So you know the West is kind of very jumbled up right now. The Kings. Probably acting with some desperation given how long their playoff drought is. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, do they try and swing a deal to solidify their place uh, 
you know, in the top half of the West to, to get back to the playoffs. And then the other just kind of group of teams I'm going to be looking at is just all of the tanking teams. You know, how brazen are these teams going to get in terms of, you know, the race to the bottom and just trying to move out as many good players as they can to maximize their chances at Wembenyama. You know, the Hornets are a team to watch there with, uh, you know, with Hayward and Rozier. Um, you know the other teams, the Spurs move Jakob Pertl and some of the other you know roll type roll tight players that they have. You know some of these other tanking teams. Detroit, I believe, has one of the Bogdanoviches, right? Yeah, Bogdan, Bogdan, Bogdan. Yeah, and he's a guy that could be very valuable to a playoff team. Um, you know, so do they try and move him? You know, get some some assets for him. So all of the tanking teams in general are just going to be very interesting to see just how aggressively they try and outdo each other. Yeah, the most. Obviously, the most talked about one I feel like right now is Kevin Durant and Boston calling and talking about Jalen Brown, which I would hate if that happened Don't for Boston. Uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are the best scoring off, uh, duo in the league right now, and they just went to the finals. I think he'll, they'll be back. But one that I would really like to see is John Collins, like Jeff said, if the Hawks just traded him already. It seems like every other team has shown interest. Every single time we're near the trade deadline, it's talked about him getting traded, and it never happens. I would like to see him get traded somewhere. Houston, I like what they're doing. They're young. They've shown interest. So that's the trade I'd like to see happen. Yeah, there's a few. I'd love to see a Jay Crowder, John Collins swap. I think that could make a lot of sense for both of those teams. Um, but I had one trade in mind when I had this question, and I just love the Cleveland Cavaliers right now. Um, I think they have a great future ahead of them with Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, Darius Garland, and Donovan Mitchell. I mean, that's just if that's your starting four, and then they just need that one position, small forward. And we talked about them already. I think it's not likely. I don't know if they want to go all in, but if they did put up a package for OG and Anobi, and that was their starting five of Darius Garland. I'm not going to list again. You know what I just said. But that would be one of the best starting fives in all of the NBA. And I think they could legitimately challenge the top, maybe not this season, but definitely in the future, challenge the tops of the East. So I would just love to see that trade. And I'd love to see that team just be a complete contender. Um, I just really think they need a small forward right now. And OG would fit perfectly for what they need. Um, But, yeah, that's all we got for the NBA trade deadline. We're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we'll be talking Super Bowl. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to Sports Wrap on 90.5 WASU. If the Boone Winter Winds have you wishing for warmer weather, think about summer and taking a class or two. Registration opens on April 3rd. The Summer Sessions scheduled classes is available now at summersessions.appstate.edu. The App State Career Development Center is here to support students as you explore career paths, identify and develop skills, and pursue experiential opportunities. With the tagline of Explore, Build, Pursue, the center provides opportunities for students to be empowered to achieve lifelong professional success. As you explore majors and careers, our coaches can help you think about how your goals, skills, interests, decision-making process, and personality type might translate into a career. Get started on your career and professional development journey today. Visit the Career Development Center website at careers.appstate.edu. Lights, camera, action. Have you watched our friends at App TV yet? 
AppTV is in the same building here on campus with WASU-FM in the Beasley Media Complex. AppTV has student-made content from sports to news to video game reviews. AppTV is on SkyBest Channel 20 or 1020, Spectrum Charter Channel 198, and Channel 23.3 on campus. Or the AppTV website, watchapptv.com. This program is sponsored by Eggers Law Firm, located on West King Street in downtown Boone. From business to traffic matters, the Eggers Law Firm has provided legal service to the high country since 1950. As fourth-generation Appalachian alumni, the Eggers Law Firm is here to assist you with legal help when you need it. The Eggers Law Firm, 737 West King Street. Anna Bananas is a longtime supporter of WASU-FM, App State's college radio station. Anna Bananas Fine Consignment Store buys, sells, trades, and serves Boone from 641 West King Street. You can follow Anna Bananas on Instagram and Facebook. Welcome to Sports Drop, sponsored by Eggers, 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 and Eggers, attorney at law. The week has come, and the Super Bowl is around the corner. Sadly, this means this is the final week of football, but boy, do we have a great game to go out on. As of right now, the Eagles are the favorite by just one and a half points, so we can expect a close one between these two. So before we jump into the Super Bowl, I just uh, we talked about it a little before the show, too, but I feel like it needs to be addressed um, I said it in this, how bad the Pro Bowl was. I felt like it was bad. There was mixed reactions. So I'm just going to open the floor. What did you think about this year's Pro Bowl, Jeff? I mean, we're just straying further and further away from football, yeah. <laughs> which is kind of, you know, what they want to do. I mean, football, it's just so tough to make a an all-star game that everyone would be interested in yeah. um, because the players obviously want to stay safe, but they also want to make it entertaining. They're just kind of in this weird middle ground where they don't really know what they want to do. Um, so it's really tough. Um, as far as, you know, the other big four sports go, NFL is a clear dead last among the all-star weekends. But I appreciate the NFL for at least trying because they want to make it enjoyable for the players, most importantly, because, well, that's who it's for. But, yeah, it's it's definitely... Definitely a, a weird scenario of what they've got going on. Tyler Huntley completed a pass to Jamal Agnew. I think that's really all we need to say about the state of the Pro Bowl. Um, I think they got to figure out the logistics to move it to midseason. Like, I don't think it's a coincidence that they're the only major league that has their all-star game at the end of the season, and they have by far the worst product. Um, you know, Given that February is kind of a barren month, Sports-wise, at least in terms of big games, you have the NBA and the NHL that are playing, but they're not really you know into the stretch run yet. So, given that the NFL could really play with the the calendar in February, I think you could figure out the logistics of putting it at midseason and then having the Super Bowl later in February. I was actually like trying to map that out, you know, what that would look like this year. They would have to play around with it a little bit because of the Daytona 500, um, which they're not necessarily worried about competing for viewers, but Fox carries it, so they would have to worry about. TV contracts and all of that, but that's really the only obstacle that I could see in their way. You know, just have the season done by the end of February, you get it out of the way before college basketball conference tournaments start and all that. Um, but I, I think that's the only way to save the Pro Bowl is to move it to midseason. 
Yes, I agree 100%. You move it to midseason. You give the guys, you know, a break halfway through the season. Um, they'll, you know, when when you put it right now, right before the Super Bowl, you're going to have guys who just lost playoff games like Joe Burrow and Josh Allen who don't want to play in a Pro Bowl. Um, so that that's a huge thing. I think the break is really important. So as far as what you're doing in the game, yeah, it's tough because players aren't going to be tackling each other. They don't want to get hurt. The flag football people didn't like, but those same people weren't very happy about the whole give each other a hug and you're down the year before. So as far as what you're doing, yeah, that's really tough, but I think making it midseason will get more interest from the players, which will cause more interest from the fans. Yeah, I think you said it, Jeff, when they said you said they focused on the players. Um, this mm-hmm. definitely was for the players, make it as enjoyable for them, and I didn't feel like the flag football was the problem. It looked like they were having fun out there. You know, uh, it was cool that they could wear like bucket hats and glasses while they're just playing. Um, injuries still happened. Uh, I know Miles Garrett dislocated his toe, and <laughs> Jalen Ramsey trucked Tyreek Hill. Um, yeah. But I, it's just when I w- looked on Twitter and I see a clip of supposedly the best of the best in the NFL playing a water balloon toss. I just think you've gone wrong somewhere. And it's like, it it just turned into a field day. And it's, I I feel like you you either got to lean into it, and this is just a thought, but like you have the Nickelodeon games, just let them host it. Let slime be everywhere. Just go crazy with it. Make it for the fans and make it for the players. Or like you said, put it mid-season. I think it could still be a flag football game just so there are no serious injuries. Um, and then it's more incentive for the guys because you get that break. Like The All-Star game is a vacation for these players in the NBA, and that's what it could be, especially in a grueling NFL season. Giving them that midseason break, I think, is the way to go. But at its current state, I, I, I don't know. It, it, it's a mess. Yeah, right and, and one other thing they could do, they, they'd have to wait till the next CBA to do this, but like guys who have Pro Bowl bonuses in their contracts, they could say you have to play or miss out due to, like, legitimate injury in order to receive that bonus yeah tie guys you know tie guys money into it and maybe they'll go yeah no i mean i think yeah you could do something like that for sure and i just think yeah you need to have the actual stars of the game playing and i think too often you have like you said cody players like joe burrow and josh allen who chose to play in the pebble beach pro aim instead of the pro bowl and because they just lost a playoff game they don't want to play water balloon toss um but moving on as usual a lot is being said of the quarterbacks entering the big game first uh this will be the first super bowl with two black quarterbacks starting the game so that is a uh interesting fact but then also these two quarterbacks are entering this game with some injury concerns so who do you give the edge to health wise and do you expect it to to affect their play I personally don't think there's really any injury concerns for either of these guys um, because they've proven in the postseason that, I mean, they can still play through it and be very good. We saw it, um, of course, with Patrick Mahomes this past week, throwing for over 300 yards or whatever he did. Um, I mean, you say, uh, who would you give the edge to health-wise? Jalen Hurts has shown that he can do everything that he was doing in the regular season. Patrick Mahomes... He's still like one bad hit away from being wobbly, which I think um, is the difference there. But uh, to me, I think both of those guys are fine, and they're gonna—they're not gonna be a hundred percent, but say ninety-five going into the Super Bowl, which is usually pretty good. Yeah, I'm with Jeff. Uh, I don't think it's gonna be really a huge issue for either team. Um, 
Mahomes showed in the AFC Championship game against the Bengals that even when he wasn't 100%, he could still be incredibly effective. Um, you know, again, like Jeff said, if you have to give an edge to this, to somebody, it's Jalen Hurts just because he's had longer to heal. Um, but I, I really don't think it's going to be a, a huge concern unless Mahomes just happens to take a low hit. I I think Mahomes will be fine um, unless, as they said, he does take a hit. Jalen Hurts, I'm actually a little bit more worried about. Um, if the Chiefs make him, I've been worrying about it all season, really, with Jalen Hurts. If a team makes him really rely on his arm in a late-game situation. But now with his shoulder, I mean, Hurts, with, okay, with throws that are four more yards through the air. So not dump-offs, but just four more yards through the air. After his injury, his completion percentage went from 62 to 50%. He went from 18 touchdowns and three interceptions to zero touchdowns and two interceptions, and his passer rating went from 115 to 68.5. So it's clear that, you know, I know correlation correlation doesn't always mean causation, but when it comes to those actual passes that are four more yards, the fact that it's completely regressed after the injury, it makes me nervous. Yeah, that's kind of where I was going with this question. Um, Jalen Hurts hasn't had to really rely on his arm in either of these playoff wins. It's been dominant wins for the Eagles. And if they get in a situation where they have to, he didn't look great throwing the ball deep against the 49ers in that game. Uh, the, off, the deep ball was just off to A.J. Brown. Um, he had that one deep completion against the Giants early on, but he hasn't had to do it a lot, and I think that's for a reason. I think they, I mean, obviously, there's no reason to throw it deep if you have a huge lead in these games, but... I do think there is something to it that maybe he's not uh, feeling as comfortable on those deep throws as he was earlier in the season. And then the only concern I have with uh, Mahomes is just the now the level of defense he's playing. It's going to be harder. The Cincinnati defense, they had an obvious game plan. They were trying to get the ball out quicker, go for those shorter routes. I still think those will be there. Mahomes will be able to pick this defense apart at times, but this is one of the best pass-rushing D-lines we've seen in NFL history. It's a very good secondary, very capable secondary, I think. We could see, like you said, this, if one wrong hit, if he gets gimpy, I think it'll affect his game a little bit more than against the Bengals. Um, But now jumping to next question, the quarterbacks will be going against some stout defensive units. Obviously, the Eagles have been one of, if not the best defenses in football this season, but the Chiefs defense has come along late as the season progresses. So what do these defenses have to do to slow down these high-powered offenses? We just mentioned Jalen Hurts' passing struggles. They got to keep him, the Chiefs' defense needs to keep him in the pocket. It's as simple as that. Which means those edge rushers who have been playing so well—Chris Jones, George Karloftis, those kind of guys—just have to set the edge and make sure he can't get outside. Um, as for the other side, the Eagles—they just got to. Tr- it, it sounds so simple, but it's very difficult is cover Travis Kelsey. It's He's been the number one target by far for the Chiefs in this postseason. Um, he's got 25 targets uh, during this postseason. Next most is Marquez Valdez-Scantling with 10. Um, Kelsey's got 21 catches to Valdez-Scantling's 7. So he's a clear-cut number one target. If you got to throw two guys at him, do it because you know he's the main concern and he's got an underrated uh, run-after-the-catch ability as well that you don't want to uh, come across. Yeah, I think it's kind of opposite approaches for what each team's going to have to do. Like Jeff said, the the Chiefs are going to have to keep Jalen Hurts in the pocket, make him beat you uh, with his arm. And then for the Eagles, they got to flush Mahomes out of the pocket, 
make him demonstrate that that ankle is healthy and show that you know he still has mobility. You know, you don't want him getting those quick throws in the pocket um, like he was getting against the Bengals in the AFC Championship game. So they have got to get a good steady pass rush, pass rush and, and flush him out of the pocket. Yeah, an absolute agreement for the Chiefs. It's forced Hurts to air it out, forced him to rely on that arm. Um, and maybe maybe both of these things that I'm saying has to do with the injuries. Like force Hurts to rely on that shoulder. And then with Mahomes, you got to get after him. The Eagles haven't played many very good quarterbacks this season, and the ones they have faced, they haven't fared great against them. Goff put up 35 against them. Rodgers put up 33 against them. Since giving up 33 to Rodgers and the Packers the last two months, they've faced Ryan Tannehill for one half, Justin Fields, Andy Dalton, Daniel Jones twice, Davis Webb, Josh Johnson, and Dak Prescott, who scored 40 on them. So now they're about to play the best quarterback of this new generation. It's a lot different. So they're going to have to make Mahomes uncomfortable, and they have to get after him. I think they have, the obviously, the ability to do that. I mean, they have 70 sacks on the season, which is 15 more than the Chiefs, who are number yeah. two Third that they're playing. History, I believe. So, yeah. yeah. So they have the ability to get after Mahomes, and I think that's the way you shut down their offense. Yeah, um, I think for the Chiefs' defense, I think number one is stop the run. Um, in the three losses for the Eagles, they ran under 100 yards. So I think you have to stop the run first and foremost. They've been dominant on the ground, and you have to make Jalen Hurts that passer like you guys talked about. And then for the Eagles' defense, I think it's a little interesting because I think the um, the what – how teams, how defenses face Patrick Mahomes has kind of started to flip where we saw last year teams just didn't want to give the big play. They played so far back on him allowing those short throws and it kind of it, it slowed them down for a little bit but then he figured it out and now he's throwing more of those check down passes. I think you're going to have to get up to the line, pressure those wide receivers at the line and make it hard to just make those easy completions to Tyreek Hill or not to uh, playing on Travis Kelsey and to like Marquez Valdez-Scantling but yeah, you have to Get, I think that's going to be a big part of that game to get pressure on Mahomes and not allow him to just make those quick read passes and actually you know, make him use that leg and throw it deep and test that secondary. Um, but now a lot is being made of the history of these coaches with uh, their opponents. Do you think that experience will play, in a, play a role in this game or how they coach the game? Um, not, not too much. I mean, both of these coaches are going to have – you know their scouting reports. They're, they've got what two weeks to prepare, which I'm sure they're they're doing their their research there. But I don't think anything um, previously is going to matter uh, too much um, with this game. Yeah, the only people who care about the history is the media and the fans, yeah. and those two groups of people don't really have any impact on how the game is is played or coached. Andy Reid's been in Kansas City long enough that he's thought of as a Chiefs guy just as much as an Eagles guy at this point and really like the only people left in Philly from his time there aside from the fans are like ownership and maybe some you know backroom front office personnel but it's not the same franchise that he worked for Um, so you know yeah it's going to be spun as as a narrative and a storyline going into this game but the guys that are actually on the field I don't think they care about that yeah I mean you know the Andy Reid being a coach of the Eagles and out here that's a fun story i think an even more fun story is yeah. Nick Sirianni being let go by Andy yeah, Reid 10 cool. years ago um so i think you know and he says that still gives him motivation i think it's a fun story but actually on the field when we're talking about third and fourth quarter of a game that's less 
worried about and more of Andy Reid's experience as far as years as a head coach and adjustments like that will probably be more of a factor if anything but I think you know when we're really into the trenches of the game it's not going to matter as much yeah I don't expect it to play out on the field but I do think there's a human element of this and both these guys have I think serious gripes with these franchises with Andy Reid he's the winningest coach in Philadelphia history and I just think he's overall underrated as a coach there. Um, I mean, there's a statue of Doug Peterson. Obviously, he won a Super Bowl. But, I mean, Andy Reid really did accomplish a lot of things there. And then, like you said, with Nick Sirianni, he was booted by Andy Reid as soon as he got to Kansas uh, Kansas City. So, And, I mean, I think we've seen from Nick Sirianni, he's a goofy guy, but he's definitely one of those rah-rah guys. He played eight mile before the New York Giants game. I, I Even if it doesn't, you know, I don't think it's going to show up on the field, but I definitely think he's saying some things in the locker room about how they treated him when he was in Kansas City. Um, but, you know, yeah. I, I think it's a little interesting to look at just the history of these coaches, just the fact that they would uh, face, be faced off against each other. But last, uh, po- last part of this segment, who wins the game uh, and what is the score? Uh, I'm taking the Eagles, 28-26, X-Factor, A.J. Brown. Jalen Hurts is going to need a lot of help from his receivers. As we mentioned, his passing struggles. A.J. Brown is the go-to guy that they acquired on draft night for this reason, so he's going to be my X-Factor. I'm going to go Chiefs, 37-34, and I'm going to go with Isaiah Pacheco as my X-Factor, potential Swiss Army knife kind of guy that they can use uh, to complement Kelsey in the passing game and also to establish the running game. I'm taking the Eagles, 26-20, to 20, and I think the X-Factor is really just all about the trenches. The Eagles' offensive line ranks 15th, 16th, 2nd, 7th, and 2nd, respectively, in their position, according to PFF. And they also have the most sacks in the NFL. So I think, really, when it gets down to the nuances of the game, it's going to come down to the trenches, and the Eagles have... Did yeah. you say a score, Jeff? 28-26. 28-26. I'm not sure if I heard that. My bad. But, yeah, I would say I'm going to go Chiefs. I'm going to say 34-30. And I'm going to say Chris Jones gets a late sack. at seals the game. So Chris Jones is my X factor. But with that, we're going to take a quick break. But when we return, we'll close things with college basketball. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Sports Wrap on 90.5 WASU. Lights, camera, action. Have you watched our friends at App TV yet? App TV is in the same building here on campus with WASU FM in the Beasley Media Complex. App TV has student made content from sports to news to video game reviews. App TV is on Skybest Channel 20 or 1020, Spectrum Charter Channel 198, and Channel 23.3 on campus. Or the App TV website, watchapptv.com. This is Cameron Moore, air personality and program director of KISS 95.1 in Charlotte. Are you considering a career in broadcasting? The Keller Radio Talent Institute is 10 days of intense learning from over 40 broadcast professionals this summer on the Appalachian State University campus. This is the only program of its kind for college students. Whether on air on music radio, sports, news, podcasting, sales, social media, video, promotions, or any aspect of radio, this is the campus to career connection. Application deadline, March 1st, but it's a rolling acceptance. So the earlier you apply, the more likely you are to get in. Only 25 students are accepted. More information at nationalradiotalentsystem.com under Keller Radio Talent Institute. Today a student, tomorrow a pro. 
Anna Bananas is a longtime supporter of WASU-FM, App State's college radio station. Anna Bananas Fine Consignment Store buys, sells, trades, and serves Boone from 641 West King Street. You can follow Anna Bananas on Instagram and Facebook. Welcome back to Sports Wrap, sponsored by Eggers, 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 and Eggers, attorney at law. Jumping into our final segment, college basketball. We'll focus on App State first. The Mountaineers had two games this past week with a possibility of moving all the way up to third place in the Sun Belt with wins in both of those games. Unfortunately, App State dropped both games at home, falling to 6-6 six and six in conference play and 13-12 and 12 overall. The Mountaineers were facing strong opponents in both these games, but found themselves in it late. It seems, however, that App State crumbles at the end of these close games. What is contributing to their late game struggles? There's a couple of things. Number one, they still don't have a go-to scorer. We've asked that question on this show, I think, multiple times now, um, and no one's really stepped up. Everyone usually looks to Donovan Gregory being the leading scorer, um, but really there's just... No offensive game plan when the clock hits two minutes. Um, another thing is free throw shooting. It was especially bad against James Madison. That was game throughout the game. Um, but in late game situations, um, shouldn't see a guy like Savion Brown on the floor who was 0 for 6 against James Madison. But um, a lot of this just has to do with shooting struggles. App State can't make anything. You got guys like Chris Mantis who on Thursday against Marshall went 0 for 7 from the field and I think hit the rim on two of his shots and then on Saturday um didn't have as much or didn't have much luck either was 0 for 4 he didn't make a shot yeah didn't didn't make a shot over the the two games and then even guys like CJ Huntley's been struggling so uh it's it just comes down to shooting better yeah the offense is just so disjointed it almost kind of feels like if they don't get what they're looking for in the first 10 seconds of the shot clock, then they just kind of panic and mm-hmm. dribble around aimlessly until the end of the shot clock, and then it ends up in the hands of usually Terrence Harcum or Donovan Gregory, and they just have to chuck. Um, so they've got to just figure out a way to be more cohesive and organized on, on that end of the floor. And then, yeah, like Jeff said, they just don't have a guy that they can really rely on to create his own shot. I mean, Donovan Gregory can a little bit, but he's not much of a jump shooter. Um so, yeah, I mean, those are the, the big things. And then, yeah, free throw shooting. Like, yeah, the, the free throw shooting is huge. Xavion Brown, you know, really hurt the team with his free throw shooting Saturday, which stunk because I thought he had a really good game. He did. Other than that, it's just unfortunate that that becomes the story. He's a very good player outside of the shooting. <laughs> yeah. And I also thought that Chris Mantis had two very good games outside of the shooting. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, I remember at the beginning of the season when we were excited because App State opened their season shooting 39 for 43 from the free throw line. Whoa. 91%. And now Take me back. <laughs> um, but yeah, like these guys said, it's just a lack of scores late. A lot of times, a defense, if you just throw Donovan Gregory, like throw your best defender on Donovan Gregory and... You know, the, and the Mountaineers aren't going to do a ton to combat that. Yeah, I think Terrence Harcum's a good guy to start putting in and hoping, hoping that it becomes a second go-to scorer. Christopher Mantis, if he's not feeling it from three, he's not going to show up in the game. Usually his 
half of his shots do come from the arc. So it's it's another, you know, people have bad nights, and it's like if you rely on the three-pointer that much, if you're not feeling it that night, you're almost not a part of the game plan. So it's, you know, it's it's all about getting another go-to score to help Gregory out some near the end because that's who they're always looking at. Yeah, I think it's unfortunate because if you look at the two games, they had the performances you'd want in just separate games. Like, Absin had a Absin and Tamel Pearson had a really good game against Marshall. They both got a lot of paint touches. I know Absin had 13 points. I don't know exactly how many Tamel had. But then you jump to the next game, neither of those guys made a bucket. Pearson had the had a better game against James Madison. Yeah, Pearson. Oh, yeah. Pearson was he was minus 15 in 10 minutes against Marshall. Yeah. Oh, okay. Makes yeah. sense. But. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just that game, though, it was like it's, Absin was very involved. And then if you look at the JMU game, Absin wasn't involved at all. And mm-hmm. if you look at the first game, you know, Tarkum and Gregory didn't have a great game, but then they both have 20-point games against JMU. So if you could just be more consistent on that end, I think that would help a lot. And then you said the free throw uh, numbers. In the JMU game, App State lost the uh, free throw margin by seven points, and it was a six-point loss. So... That's just one of those things you look at and you just shake your head. Um, but looking at the team stats, I just wanted to dive into these two games, and I found something a little interesting. Mountaineers actually shot better than both opponents this past week. Uh, App State against Marshall, 39.3%. Marshall, 35.5%. Against JMU, App State, 30%. JMU, 35.7%. So defense isn't the problem. So what can App State do to be a more efficient team offensively and just be a better team in general? Um, and it was a different situation, I think, for both games. The Marshall game, um, App State allowed 13 offensive rebounds for Marshall, um, and they took 62 total shots to App State's 56. Uh, 24 of those points came in the paint for Marshall, 19 off turnovers, and 15 of those points were second-chance points. So that's that's not something you can really have there. And as for James Madison... They just shot better from three-point range than they did from two-point range, which is kind of odd. But uh, they were 11 of 29 from three. So that's those are what really uh, killed App State in, in each game. Yeah, and I think they they got to do two things to, to fix this. Number one, I think they should get Justin Abson more involved. Um, he had a, a great game against Marshall uh, on Thursday. Jeff and I called that game, and we both said it was quite possibly the, the best game of his college career so far. So I think you got to get him more involved because that gives you more physicality down low. Um, it just gives you a, a more physical presence down there. And then they got to get Chris Mantis going again as well. Um, you know, first half of the season, he was really, really good and provided a lot of spacing for that team, and that opened up more space for Donovan Gregory, opened up more space for a guy like Xavion Brown, who's really who can be really good off the dribble to get into the lane. So they got to get him going again because when he's cold and with Tyree Boykin still out injured, that means Harkum is really the only reliable three point shooter on this team. Yeah, App State. You know they're they're a big team. They do well in blocks, and a lot of that's because of Justin Abson carrying a lot of that load on the stat. But right now they're tenth in the Sun Belt and rebounding margin, so they have to be more physical down inside. And and like Matthew said, maybe that is getting Justin Abson more involved down there, so so he can play more minutes. Um, I like Debaji Walker as well to be another you know scorer in there that I just don't feel like they're utilizing as much as they could. Yeah, uh, I wanna. Call myself out. I don't know why I thought Tamel Pearson had a good game in either of the games. <laughs> I must have just looked at the box score wrong earlier. But I think the biggest 
just the problem is, like you guys said, Justin Appson had a great game against Marshall. And I don't know if it was just maybe he struggled in the next game, but he only took four shots against JMU. He was one for four, so it could have just been an early slow start, and that just maybe just didn't have the confidence. But I think as a team and as a like maybe the coach even, like you got to tell this guy take more shots. Like You're better than a one-for-four, two-point performance in a game you need to win at home. He needs to be way more involved with this offense. He's a good passer when he has the ball, too. I mean, I just think he's being underutilized. And then, yeah, it's just the bench scoring is just all over the place with this team. You just have no reliability from anyone off the bench. I mean, we talk about Mantis, and he's had these good games, but when he's not making threes like he was in the game, I mean, in the Marshall game, he was struggling. He wasn't hitting the rim. That was one of the worst performances I've seen. And if he's not making threes, I don't know what he's doing for this team. So there's just a lot to figure out there, but uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. That's a it's a tough one for the Mountaineers. But jumping to all of college basketball, Saturday uh, saw a lot of close games and upsets. So we're gonna stay in North Carolina for the first game, um, and a disappointing outcome for some of us in here. <laughs> Duke defeated UNC at Cameron Indoor in a low-scoring affair. Uh, it's danger time for the once number one ranked Mount, uh, Mountaineers, Tar Heels, yeah. with eight losses. How nervous should UNC be about missing the tournament? Very. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. They got a tough schedule coming up, but it starts tonight in about three minutes at Wake Forest. Um, if they can't win this game, they're in serious trouble. Yeah, uh, this is a doomsday kind of game for, for Carolina against Wake. Um, Got to have this one, um, plain and to. simple. Mm, yeah. Sorry, the voice crack. Um, but but you got to have this one if if you're Carolina. You've already let several highly winnable games slip away this season. You you got to have this one. You can't lose three in a row. And like Jeff said, tough schedule to close out the season. Yeah, they they should be nervous right now. I know in Joe Lenardi's bracketology, they're sitting at a nine seed. Tonight they play Wake Forest, where they're on the road. They're one and a half point dogs. Before I got here, um, they. Then they play a six-loss Clemson team and then a ranked Miami and a ranked NC State. It's not like things are getting easier. So if they don't get it together now, yeah, they should be nervous. Yeah, I mean, it's danger zone. You're very close to getting to that double-digit loss category. And you're UNC, so as unfair as it is, you're just going to get some uh, extra credit. Like, they're going to look at you ahead of some teams if you have similar records when it comes to tournament time. But just the fact that they're in this situation is terrifying if you're a UNC fan. But moving on, Purdue, Tennessee, and Gonzaga are all some high-ranked teams that fell last week. Even after the loss, Purdue stayed at number one. So as of right now, who is your top team? And did this cha- did this weekend change the way you feel about any of these teams? It's still Purdue. Um, that loss is against a tough Indiana team. In a, in a rivalry game, in a very, very tough environment to play in Assembly Hall when it gets rowdy is not a place you want to be if you're a road team. So uh, you kind of just chalk that one up to being a tough game. But, yeah, Purdue is still the best team in the country. I refuse to believe in anybody from the Big Ten until the Big Ten wins another national championship. So I really don't like anybody. Um, but the team that I dislike the least right now is probably Alabama. Um, they're my best team for right now. And can't really explain why I just they're the team I feel best about when I watch them play but like I said it's so even this year I don't think there really is a clear-cut best team yeah for for me it's still Purdue um I think Indiana does have a top 10 atmosphere so it's it's a tough place to play they were 
obviously very competitive as they should have been. AP Top 25 still has the Boilermakers at one. I think that's correct. I still think they're the best team in the country. They're very well-rounded. I think Zach Eady obviously is great, um, so they're the best team left. Yeah, I think that was more of one of those games for Purdue might give you credit if that loss might have given them credit. They battled at the end of that game. They really came close, but Indiana was playing great, and that's one of the rowdiest crowds in college football. Zach Eady is still the best player in college basketball, and I think they are still the best team in college basketball. But with that, that'll do it for another episode of Sports Wrap. But before we go real quick, we got shout-outs. So Jeff, you want to get us started? Yeah, let's do it. Um, shout-outs, of course, everyone who listens um, every week, week in, week out. Thank you for listening. I have a couple of sports shout-outs. First, to uh, Chicago State, who won the uh, Independent Championship of College Basketball this past weekend, beating Hartford. They're the only two teams that are independent in all of college basketball, and they played each other at Chicago State beat him 62-49. Other sports shout-out goes to UFC fighter Marcin Tybura of no relation to me, but still has my name, and he won this past weekend, so shout-out to him. I'm going to give a shout-out to Andrei Svechnikov of the Carolina Hurricanes. Not even probably one of the three fastest guys on the Hurricanes and won the fastest skater competition. Now three years in a row that the Hurricanes have won an event at the uh, NHL All-Star Skills Competition, so Go Canes. We'll see if uh, we get a big trade here in the next couple of weeks. My shout-out's going to go to LeBron James. Either way, by the next time I'm on, but my prediction is tonight he passes Kareem to be the all-time NBA leading scorer. Well, I'll take it. My shout-out was LeBron, but I'm shouting out Emo LeBron for the funniest tweet I've ever seen. So, <laughs> And also, shout-out to my grandma and all my friends listening. But that'll do it for another episode of Sports Wrap, sponsored by Eggers, 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 and Eggers, Attorney at Law. I'm Lucas, Jeff, Matthew, and Cody, and I'll send you to your music. <laughs>